tired of men monopolizing mansplaining? Luckily, we are here to provide relief from the mindless drone of men explaining to ladies what it's like to be a proper lady. And today, we are here to tell you what it's like to be a proper man. Welcome to Mansplaining, an explication of masculinity through popular culture. I am your co-host, Brittany Duck Walker. And I'm your other co-host, Kay Fox Grossman. Um, and thanks for tuning in again. We really appreciate you listening. Today we're going to be talking about Top Gun, a 1986 film directed by Tony Scott, Ridley Scott's brother. Uh, you might know Tony Scott from Beverly Hills Cop 2, Enemy of the State. If you don't know him, well, stay tuned. We're going to talk about both those movies in future episodes. Absolutely. And uh, the starring roles would be Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer. Meg Ryan plays a small little role with Goose's wife in this film. Um, with a pretty terrible haircut. Pretty awful haircut. Absolutely. Best of the 80s haircut. So the budget for this film was... $15 million. $15 million. But it grossed $176 million worldwide um, to date. The opening weekend alone, it made over $2 million. That's incredible. It was the ninth top grossing film of the 1980s. As a whole, the top grossing film of 1986. And it had a far-reaching pop culture impact. I mean, nothing else for the soundtrack alone. Absolutely. Uh, um, I know, I know Duck over there quite <laughs> loves the soundtrack. I do. It actually won an Academy Award for um, Take My Breath Away. <sighs> I take my breath away. Not dignifying it. It's a travesty. Um, but this film was based off an actual true story. And I think just like while we're talking about the wide reach, I know last episode we talked kind of about our motivations for doing this podcast about how films teaching men to be well proper men and the ideals that came through and i think that this film is a perfect example of that and after this film film's release the pentagon reported that the applications for the naval aviator program which is the program discussed and at the center of this film went up by an astonishing 500 percent. so if we're talking about reach and relevance of a film we got it right there. Just the applications for a program that's life-changing went up by an astonishing amount. Um, part, of, part of that is due to they actually set up tables outside of the movie theaters. So when people left Top Gun, they could try to recruit them. So while the you're Navy. feeling like all yay patriotic, like, yay, yay America. Also, oh my God, fighter jets are awesome. Right. I can fly a fighter jet. Just sign here. I want to be cool like Maverick. I mean, we all do. Absolutely. Well, they provided that option for you right <laughs> as you come out. Uh, th- they also took part of like like the Danger Zone, like Danger Zone esque music, and like put it into their uh, promotional videos, which is <laughs> kind of cool, I guess. And and this was all deliberate choice. The Pentagon was very involved in this movie's creation and this movie's promotion. Tony Scott got a lot of assistance from Pentagon and government officials in showing exactly what it was like to be in the barracks, to be in in the school. It was a lot of it was based off true stories, and the character some of the characters are based off true people. So I think they they were attempting to do a vaguely realistic depiction of of what this flight school was. Um, so I, I guess with that, let's go into what's a, just a quick little synopsis for the three people out there who haven't seen Top Gun.
So, Top Gun starts out, it throws you right into the action immediately. So it starts out in the middle of a dogfight. Tom Cruise, Maverick, is uh, playing wingman to Cougar, another dogfighter, as they um, fight against, or as they're in a dogfight against a Soviet MiG. It's still the Cold War, tail end of the Cold War, so the Soviets are still the big bad. Tom Cruise's arrogance comes out, he wins the fight. Cougar, I think, is the first time he realized that this is a life and death endeavor he's on, and he gives up his wings, which leads to the loose cannon Maverick to be the choice to go to Top Gun training school, which is aim is to revive the lost art of dogfighting. And uh, him and Goose get to go along. And I would like to kind of roll back a little bit because there are a lot of parallels in this film. And when you were talking about Cougar, the reason why that's so important is because this be kind of becomes a parallel to what happens to Goose later on. You know, Goose also has a, a wife. Goose also has a child. And he decides to go with Maverick to this Navy fighter school, kind of regardless of what that might mean for his future. Whereas Kuga turns in his wings and decides to forego a pretty prestigious position in this flight school in order to stay alive for his wife and child. Yeah. So when they go to um, the school, they meet Iceman, who's played by Val Kilmer, and they get in this- And Iceman's perfect teeth. Perfect teeth. Like, so much so that he makes noises with them for fun. <laughs> you know, like, who does that? Only people with perfect teeth. <laughs> um, Speaking as someone without perfect teeth, I wouldn't know. Yeah, yeah, I can't- I like, you can't hear it. (laughs) I really hope the audio picked that up. You can't hear it through the mic, but you know, it's like this high pitched, beautiful music that he's making with these perfect teeth. (laughs) It's like an instrument, you know? But he gets into this this rivalry because I'm pretty sure that Tom Cruise is jealous of Iceman's perfect teeth because (laughs) as we observed Tom Cruise's teeth. In in a still frame, we realized that his teeth were slightly <laughs> askew. Yes, they um, are. Like which I, I, this picture we have to we have to put the picture of Tom Cruise <laughs> full frontal on this because not, you draw- not in a full frontal sexual way because we don't have that unfortunately. Fortunately, uh, but if you draw a line down the very center of Tom Cruise's face, there's a tooth in the middle. Like yeah, that 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 center equator. Yeah, is is transversed by a tooth. It's weird. Um, so yeah, I would be jealous. But seriously, it, they're not... I don't think the underlying tension here is due to orthodent- orthodontic jealousy. I still think that's debatable, but I'll continue on. <laughs> um, maybe perhaps the rivalry is because Maverick is better at volleyball than Iceman. Possibly. There's a... Long shirt, long and pointless shirtless volleyball scene. I would not say pointless. I think it symbolizes the rivalry between these two astounding gentlemen. Um, it creates tension, and we also get to spend the entire time wondering who in the hell plays volleyball in blue jeans. <laughs> That's which, a good question. Which is really the most mind-boggling part of Top Gun for me. It was the question Sand that volleyball and blue still jeans. lingers in my mind. Iceman has the name Iceman because he's cool as ice, whereas Maverick is flies by instinct, flies by guts. He one point says, "I don't, you don't have time to think up there, whereas Iceman is the exact opposite. So you were seeing... In this, in their rivalry, kind of two opposing views of this, this how fighter, to be a good fighter. Of how to be a good fighter. Yeah. But regardless, this rivalry um, kind of 
gets very, very serious in a scene where they are in a training exercise. A, a training dog fight, yeah. And in this dog fight, the the intended target is just a, in this um a, as Maverick is trying to lock on position, he does, he almost wins until Iceman doesn't move out of the way. And because he doesn't move out of the way, he crosses Maverick crosses his um, jet stream, and because he crosses the jet stream, it causes his engines to fail, which leads to the death of Goose. They both eject. Goose hits his head. It doesn't eject correctly. And Tom Cruise, Maverick, watches Goose die in front of him and then quits flight school, as one might after you see your best friend die a horrific death. Everyone's trying to convince him otherwise. They... Tell him, you know, he, he's completed enough flight hours that he can graduate with his class. And he does. Eventually, he comes back. He graduates with his class. Immediately upon graduation, he is enlisted to fight in a dogfight, a real-life dogfight, with Iceman as his wingman. And they they win. They win. And happily ever after. Well, and then he goes back to the flight school and becomes as a teacher. In, as an Yeah, as a teacher. Yeah, and then full it's circle. full circle. Absolutely. And that's Top Gun. That's Top Gun. So we, we have three things that we really wanted to to address today. The first of which, is this a misogynistic film? Uh, the second question, is this a super gay film? And lastly, we kind of want to speak on grief within the movie. So those are going to be kind of our talking points today. Just to orient you. So with that, is this a misogynistic film? You might have noticed that we didn't talk about women through the entire synopsis. Which, that's not because there's no women in here. It's just that they're woefully underrepresented and kind of banal characters. There's two women of meaningful roles. One is a wife and one is an incredibly accomplished PhD that... Mathematician. Mathematician. Astrophysicist. Oh, okay. That's reduced to Tom Cruise's love interest. So I guess a lot of this, a lot of criticism of this movie has... Um, especially in recent years, has been that this movie is misogynistic. So what's your read on that, Brittany? Do you, would you say that this movie is misogynistic? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm not saying the entire movie is misogynistic. Though it might be. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see parts where women are undervalued. You have this woman who has a PH-freaking-D in astrophysics. She's the only civilian teacher that we see. I think she might be the only... Um, civilian teacher in the whole Top Gun school. It's it's heavily implied. Yeah, so, you know, we have this incredibly intelligent, authoritative woman, and she's reduced to her body parts. Mm-hmm. Part of the frustrating thing is, is that, and Maverick, to be clear, doesn't really treat anyone in authority with particular respect, but her power is constantly being challenged. Um, she's not so much an instructor as just an argumentative tool for Tom Cruise to show off his brilliance. Well, not even that, but it's kind of presented as this charming, witty, you know, banter between them. But it's, you know, first of all, they're they're in the Navy, and this is a girl of, you know, authority. And the, I really do think that the only reason why is it ex- it's, it's acceptable for Maverick to question her authority is because the fact that she's a woman. Well, she's a woman and, a, to be fair, a civilian. Um, but I don't think that he could have gotten away with saying something like, I'd tell you, but then I'd have to kill you to his male authority figure. Oh, yeah. Um, or joking or jokingly giving her the finger. 
or explaining yeah. what the finger is as if her delicate lady sensibilities would not know. Or even explaining why she's wrong when she's trying to give, you know, theories behind fighting and he's all about instinct. And he's telling her why, you know, she's wrong for trying to give him the theory behind it. For, for doing her job, you mean? Yeah, for um, doing her job. And and to be fair, she's given some agency. I don't want to say that she's totally a woman in a refrigerator. But she's, like, and I do think it's it's important to think about that. The first interaction that we see with Charlie and Maverick is actually in a bar the day before flight school starts. Maverick tries to woo her with a poorly timed song and dance routine. Excuse me, miss. Hey, hey, hey. Don't worry, I'll take care of this. You never close your eyes anymore when I kiss your lips. Back up, backed up by Goose. There's no tenderness like before in your fingertips. Just precious. Which is terrifying. If I was a girl and and some and suddenly I had a a gang of I, navy off officers? Yeah. Navy navy men, navy men coming at me and like Singing, singing at you? Singing in at me. I I would feel threatened. <laughs> I would not. I would not feel charmed. You don't like having a boy band surrounding you? No. Unless it's in sync. He follows her after she rejects his advances um, into the ladies' room where she's washing up. And she... Into the ladies' room. Okay, again, creepy. But I think it's really funny because Maverick had previously made a bet with Goose that um, he would get her to sleep with him by the end of the night. And not only does Charlie reject his advances, she also throws him a little bit of a bone there. She walks out and says, your friend was awfully good back there. Your friend was magnificent. Implying that they had slept together. Nah. And I kind of, I find, found that kind of charming. It was her taking agency over the situation in a, in a way that she wasn't given any agency prior to that. So... Score one for Charlie there. But that's kind of the last time we see Charlie's, a as a character with thoughts and opinions and feelings of, of her own that aren't just related to, oh, I'm in love with Maverick. And that's kind of frustrating. Do you think you could argue that at the end when he is grieving and she's getting angry at him and she's, you know, that one scene where she chases him down in the car and yells at him. Do you think that is in a place of romance or in a place as an instructor who instructor who sees his potential? I That's actually really interesting. I'm not sure. I think that's, that's a thing. I, that's something I certainly hadn't thought about before. Um... Yeah, that's. I think that's a very valid reading. That that's again her taking back some of the authority. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, he when he comes back to the graduation, it's not for her. So I, you know, even if you could argue that it's from you know an instructor point, we never see that. If that's the, if there's no payoff. Yeah, there's no payoff. Where there is payoff at the very end when he returns to Top Gun School, the Top Gun School, and he reunites with her. By the way. She rejects a promotion, I think, implied yeah. to stay where he is. Mm -hmm. It's not explicitly stated, but she gives up an incredibly lucrative promotion to stay with Maverick. Yeah. Um, again, her brains and her accomplishments are being devalued in the face of... Romance. Romance. Yeah. So, so again, this I think Charlie's position is pretty complicated. I think especially where you're saying 
where does her line as an instructor end and her role as romance begin? And and don't get us wrong, she and Cruz sleep together. They are very explicitly entangled, romantically entangled, and physically entangled, I guess. So I guess we could kind of summarize this and say yes. The jury, the jury says that yes, this is a misogynistic film, but I think it, it's complicated. It's a complicated sort of misogyny. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the second point that we kind of wanted to talk about today was... Is this a gay film? Um, what's funny is when I was talking to people about doing Top Gun, and, you know, especially in relation to this podcast, like, immediately said, oh, that's a really homoerotic film. What a gay film. And not gay in the pejorative sense, gay in it's a gay film. As in they love each other. They love each other. Um, and I'm not sure. Certainly there's a lot of the dialogue in this movie is um has sexual undertones absolutely you know i thought the exact same thing i was reading all of these articles that you know was saying that this was extremely homoerotic you know the relationship between val kilmer and tom cruise is like more flirtatious um that that's just sexual it's sexual sexual tension tension, yeah Um, um the 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 amount of grief that Tom Cruise that Maverick feels after Goose dies that that is super homoerotic it's that like, that's indication of how deeply he loved him yeah which you know when you think about it even that point is is kind of shaming emotions yeah I I had the same thought I was um I think it's really interesting that Tom Cruise Maverick can't grieve without we can't see a depiction of him grieving what's a pretty devastating loss of someone who's a personal friend and a co-worker and someone who died right in front of who his died eyes. right in front of his eyes without saying oh it's obviously because they are had a, yeah had a repressed sexual relationship right um and I, I think that devalues male emotions and i think that it, it devalues male friendship as well yeah um in fact what was the name of the article that said one one out of three men. I don't remember the specific article, but um, and it, it is, I recently I just read an article in the Guardian newspaper, and we'll we'll link it in the show notes. That says essentially that one out of three men say they don't have a close male friend. Uh, so that's I mean I think that's kind of disturbing because I can I mean I certainly have many close friends. I don't think there's ever been a time in my life where I would say I didn't have at least one close female friend, and to and to think about the fact that maybe there's an element of vulnerability or an element of some kind of repression, emotional repression that leads men to think that they can't have friends and just see it being, um, and in this movie that might be that feeling and that sense that male friendship can't exist without sexual undertones may be validated. And that's, I think that's frustrating and a little bit sad. Absolutely. I mean, how many times have you seen two males hug each other, say, I love you, and then follow it with no homo? Yeah. You know, the fact that they have to, you know, put a disclaimer on their vulnerability to a friend that they're close to, I think shows how much we're telling men, you can't show emotions or you can't be vulnerable. You can't let your guard down. You have to be strong constantly. Mm -hmm. Um, so I know you wanted to talk a little bit about... Yeah, homosocial versus homoerotic. So homoerotic is really what we are talking about is the... It's, it's, homoerotic is, you know, sexual undertones or sexual expression of same sex. And homosocial is really emotional intimacy between two members of the same sex. 
um, statistically and quantitatively, this is backed up that there's that people tend to feel closer to members of the same sex, the friends of the same sex. They tend to feel that the friendships are deeper and that they're, I guess, more worthy of being fostered. Um, but I think what's interesting is that Eve Sedgwick first brought up the theory of homosociality, i.e. friendship, in, intimate friendship between, between two men um, in the 1980s. And it was in a book called Between Men. And I think that's one of the reasons that in English theory, even till today, we tend to look at homosociality as in relation to masculinity, not in relation to femininity. Um, I, I do want to clarify, I think it's just an important caveat, is that homosociality exists outside the realm of heterosexuality or homosexuality. So just if we're mapping these co on a coordinates, they're not related. Just bracket that for future reference. Um, so I think I think in this this movie is more homosocial and homoerotic, I would argue. Um, um, and one of the things that I was definitely thinking about is this movie's relation to something like, say, Thelma and Louise. Thelma and Louise is a, is a movie that's a celebration of female friendship, but I've never seen it mentioned like as is it a gay film. Um, so so maybe it's it's just because we don't at that point there were so few representations of male friendship on film that the only way it could be understood is to say it's homosexual. Um, and one of my friend, one of our friend, mutual friends, um, actually brought up a really good point after we watched this, is that maybe there was just such a dearth of films depicting gay males that it was grafted onto as this is an explication of what it means to, what, what a male love story would look like. And maybe as a product of its time, maybe that's, is what a gay male love story would look like. But I think that to read it simply as that is is devaluing the friendship between Maverick and Goose. And I think she made a really, really good point with that too, is, you know, the desperation of wanting to see yourself on screen. Yeah. Represent, of, again, representation matters. Yeah, of representation. Um, so with all of that being said, you know, I have to argue that I, I, I don't fall under the top, Top Gun being a gay film. I, I don't either. Um, so I, I don't think it's well supported. And I think the support that it gives is, again, just kind of demonizing softer qualities and masculinity. Yeah. And if you don't have, and if you are a guy and don't have a close male friend, I'm sorry. You should. It's okay if you have a male friend. It's true. And that should be edited out. <laughs> you're like that was stupid that was stupid but you um, should have friends friends are great you should have a close male friend you should have a close female friend um to that note one of the things i was thinking of is that in gray's anatomy that famous phrase like you are my person is said yeah from a female to a female and um, my husband and i have adopted that all the time i'm like you're my person and he says you're my person so it's funny that like the statement of affection and friendship as is said between two straight characters was adopted by myself and my husband to straight people. Yeah. But if it was said in the context of, say, Top Gun or the set between two men, I think it would be have radically different implications. So, again, take that what you will for male friendship. Absolutely. Um, all in all, I think that this movie is about anything. This movie is about grief. Yeah. Um, so Maverick is grieving from the beginning because of his father. Um, so he grieves for his father, he grieves for Goose, um, and the issue here is that 
people are constantly telling him to get over it. Mm-hmm. They're telling him, you know, this isn't what Goose would want. They're telling him, you know, stuff it down. They're telling it you'll get used to it. They they are Essentially angry. saying Goose would have died without you anyways because Goose, I mean, his wife said, Go- um, Goose's wife, played by Meg Ryan, says, God, he loved flying with you, Maverick. Implying that, you know, it doesn't matter. He would have died anyways. It's not your, I mean, in one hand, it does remove, it's an effort to remove any of the guilt that Tom Cruise might be feeling or Maverick might be feeling. But on the other hand, it's kind of devaluing like these very real emotions that Tom Cruise is feeling, I think, more strongly in this scene than even Goose's grieving widow. Yeah. Um, so I think I think one of the really the, the most interesting part is this depiction of grief and what grieving should be or what's an appropriate amount of grieving. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's at the bar and he's drinking and people are coming up to him and they're almost angry that he quit fight they that he they quit are flying. Angry. They, they, no, they are angry. They they're angry that he stopped flying, they're angry that he's sad, they're angry that he's drinking. You know, every single type of thing that he tries to do to grieve, he's getting criticized for. I think that says something about um, how society treats men while they're grieving. I actually read this study of men who had lost a close friend. And what they did was they took, you know, men who had just lost a close friend and they observed their reactions. And I'm just going to read a couple of quotes from um, the narrative um, experiment that they did. Um, One person said... That's how you're taught. That's how you wrote up. Men are taught from an early age. Don't cry. It's not your job. How are you going to be strong if you're crying it out? Um, manning up was the best embodied uh, reaction as far as how you take control of your grief. Uh, uh, one of the participants, Nathan, argued that men need to fight through it. Dylan, a 21-year-old, explained that he needed to turn it down, while Damien asserted that he needed to turn it off. That's really sad. I mean, that's really sad. It's, that Because, I mean, obviously, as anyone who's lost a close friend knows that grieving's a really... I mean, obviously, it's, it's necessary and natural. And to say, like, t- to be socially sanctioned against that... And to have, I think, is is really quite tragic. Absolutely. Uh, continuing in the study, the minority of men talked about crying. Most men talked about crying as if it was a feminine activity um, that was unacceptable and a sign of weakness. So when Maverick is grieving, he also gets, you know, he's showing his vulnerability, he's showing his weakness, and people are telling him that that is wrong. To kind of summarize, you know, we were talking about the publicity in the span of this movie. And I can only imagine the multitude of men coming into the theater, seeing this guy lose one of his 
closest best friends grieving and being told that's wrong and kind of the by all the authority figures, yeah, by, by and his love interest, absolutely, um, and kind of what that has on what well, the effect that that has on them and how they're taught to grieve because you know we we talked about this last uh, podcast with Bloodsport. We you know pop culture is not just a manifest manifestation of culture at the time. It is also a tool of creating culture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if if this is creating culture, what effect is that having on boys? I think I think the most optimistic way you could view that is that it was well, even then. Actually I'm going to I'm gonna step back from the statement I was about to say. I was about to say that well, it was it's Tom Cruise remains the protagonist and he's the one that's grieving. But he has to step away from his grief in order to complete his circle as the hero in which in that final gun in that final dogfight where he comes back, he gets over Goose's death, he finds a new RIO. I mean, he doesn't replace Goose, but he has to get over it in order to complete the, his cycle as the, the movie's hero. And yeah, so maybe what does that say? Is that there's a finite short time limit that you're allowed to feel something? Or what does it say about grief from a male perspective? Yeah, and I think that's a question that I'm going to leave out in the open um, for our viewers to discuss amongst themselves. Well, amongst themselves or in the comments of our Facebook page or in the comments of our um, website. So always know that you can go ahead and you can like Mansplaining, the podcast on Facebook. You can find us on rivercityarchery.club. <laughs> or you it's can, a real website. It is a real website, I promise. And uh, you can also find us on mansplainingpodcast.com. We're on Twitter. We so are on Twitter. Feel free to follow us for insightful and cutting commentary. We promise that'll be coming. Yes, absolutely. And also you can find us on Instagram um, under River City Archery Club. Um, so, Fox, you can always be my wingman. Bullshit, you'll be mine. Thank you. The end.